Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast today. We're entering into the Advent season through the book of Luke as we see the birth of Jesus and his childhood years. We're really excited to share that with you and hope that this season will be enveloped by remembering Jesus coming to be with us. We'd also want to invite you to partner with us financially. We have a few missionaries that you can find on our website that have really blessed our church by doing college ministry. And also we have seminarians that we want to invite our listeners to support as well. We're starting a church residency program, praying to uh, see God raise up the next generation of pastors at Renew Church. You can find all that information at the description section. Enjoy the podcast. Guys. Okay, in a typical Renew fashion, before I get started, I would love for us to chat with each other for a little bit. Oh, bye, youth. Bye. Um, And look, anyone who needs a seat who's maybe trickling in, there's going to be lots of empty seats right here. Um, But we like to start, uh, before we get into God's Word together, to start with a question and just chat with the people around us. So our question today is to share with just a couple people around you about a significant season of growth in your life. So this could be like an actual physical growth spurt that you went through, intellectual, like an under, a big season of understanding, spiritual growth, social growth, etc. Share a significant season of growth with a couple neighbors and then we'll come back up, get into the word together. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and bring you back. You get to talk more later, I promise. Okay. Lights are bright today. I'm going to try and focus. Okay. So regardless of what kind of story you guys shared, whether it's like a physical growth spurt or a season of significant growth of some other kinds, I think that for most of our stories, we would see that significant growth often comes with growing pains. And I think about my own like growth spurts growing up probably around elementary school age, I would get really bad leg cramps uh, before bed. And so my dad, when he would, part of the bedtime routine is I would get them right here, like right behind my knees. And so he would like rub the backs of my legs before bed. But even still, sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night, like crying for my parents. I remember a couple times like rolling out of bed and crawling down the hallway to my parents' room, just crying and begging to get my legs rubbed. Fast forward, Lucy had the same kind of leg cramps when she was around the same age, elementary school. Like she, part of the bedtime routine, rub out the leg cramps. Sometimes she'd cry like, mommy, that's how she would say it, in the middle of the night. And uh, we'd have to go in there and I felt like this is karma. Like this is, this is maybe what my parents experienced. Um, but you know, when I think about Uh, growing a life in my belly. You know, some of us moms have like permanent stretch mark reminders of the significant season of growth that we went through in in a child coming to be. And um, I think, you know, with kids, growth is so external and obvious. And we celebrate all these mile markers that they go through. They physically change so much in such a short time. Um, just during COVID, like a lot of people hadn't seen each other, right? So when Lucy came back after like 
14 months starting to see each other, she grew five inches in those 14 months. So a lot of people did not even recognize her when, when we all came back together. Um, so physically changed, voices changed, languages developed. Um, but then, you know, some of the growing pains, I think about watching kids grow up and you kind of see them go through a loss of innocence. And part of that is natural, um, but it's still kind of hard. You see they are grappling with um, what it means to be a part of a broken world for the first time. They, they see suffering around them and they experience suffering for the first time. And um, they interact with different worldviews and are rubbing shoulders with people that live life really different than them. And I think about the different seasons of my kids. Our son Lincoln is six and our daughter Lucy is 14. And Lincoln is in this season where he really just believes what we tell him uh, wholeheartedly. So if we tell him it's true, he believes it's true. And when he asks questions about life or about people around us or even about what we believe about God, he asks questions with wonder. And uh, you can say, tell he's got this age of innocence still, right, where he's using his imagination and his belief is just so pure. Um, and then I look at the way that Lucy asks me questions. And she asks questions with wrestling. Um, her questions about God, about the people around us, about the brokenness she sees in the world. She wrestles through her questions, and it's right, because the answers that we give Lincoln just aren't satisfactory to her anymore, right? Some of these growing pains and the wrestling is natural, and that's part of growing up. You know, we're all in different seasons and stages of our growth emotionally and spiritually, um, but one thing we have in common is that we were made to grow, we joke with our kids like every parent does and say, like, stop growing up so fast. And both of our kids, when they were little, even though they did this about eight years apart, had said to us on different occasions, I can't stop growing. God made me to grow. And it's so true. God has made us to grow. Uh, it wouldn't be right if we just stayed in one season of life. And um, as we mature and grow, we encounter things that are difficult, but we know that this growth is important to God, and just because it's difficult doesn't mean that he's absent. I think about um, the way that God became flesh and came to earth in Jesus Christ, and that he chose to come not as a fully grown person, but came as a baby who developed into toddlerhood, adolescence, teenager, adult Jesus. Um, and we know that once we become a follower of Christ, once we become a Christian, it's not like life is done then. He doesn't immediately zap us up to spend eternity with him. Um, that there's still this process of growing and changing, even once we choose to follow Jesus. You might remember um, several weeks ago, Pastor Dave was up here, and he was talking about salvation being saved by Christ, but being in three different phases. He had Aubrey, Taylor, and Lucy up here. He talked about the first phase, salvation, when we first meet Jesus and we're beginning our relationship with God, we've experienced being saved from our sin. And then there's this second phase of sanctification, being saved as a process, becoming more like him, changing and growing in our faith. And this final phase of glorification, when we are made perfect, when we've, uh, we can see Jesus as he is and spend eternity with him.
So this in-between time, this middle phase of growing and changing and maturing, this is part of sanctification, and it's part of God's design. <clears throat> so we don't get a lot in Scripture where we get to see Jesus physically growing through the stages of an infant into adulthood, but we do get a little bit. And so the passage that we get to see um, Jesus in childhood, we're going to read today. And so um, if you guys have your Bibles, I also have it up here. We're going to go to Luke 2. And you know, we've been walking through Luke together um, as a church. So this is the next spot we're at. We're going to start in verse 41 and read to the end of the chapter. It says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Okay, so great story. And like every great story, we have this setting, we have a climax, and then um, sort of the way it concludes. So we'll break it down a little bit. So the, the backdrop or the setting or the intro of the story is Mary and Joseph traveling to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, as they did every year. And, um, you know, if you have been a part of our Exodus Bible reading plan that Kevin just talked about a couple minutes ago, this should be pretty fresh in your mind. We just read the passage in Exodus 12 or 13 this week about how the Passover um, began to be celebrated. So just a really quick history. Um, when God's judgment was coming over Egypt because they had enslaved his people, the Israelites. He gave them several warnings, saying, let my people go, and they would perform a sign, and Pharaoh's heart would be hardened and would not let his people go, but continued to enslave them more and more. And so several plagues, and then the final plague was a plague of death of the firstborn over all of Egypt, of the families and of the animals. And so God's instruction to the Israelites was to select and kill a lamb, a Passover lamb, and take the blood and put it on the top of your doorpost and the side of your doorpost. And when the destroyer comes over Egypt, it will pass you over and you will be saved. And so this is the backdrop that is in this story that every year, in that passage in Exodus 13, it says, when your children ask you, why are we celebrating this feast? Tell them it was because God rescued us. So we know now at this point, knowing who Jesus is, we can look back and we know when judgment and calamity strike, when, um, when there is rebellion against God, when there is evil against his image bearers, that God always makes a way. 
he always makes a way for those who want it. If we're covered by the blood of Jesus, judgment will pass over us. Okay, so that's the backdrop of the story. And then we see them traveling in a large caravan home from this festival, which was common. Sometimes women and children first in one big group, and then men would follow. And so they lose Jesus. He's not with them. And for everyone in the room that has lost a child or has been lost as a child, you can feel this. Our heart races. We're like, this is the climax of the story, right? Um, I can remember being lost as a child in J.C. Penney's. I, um, I like tucked myself into one of those round clothing racks hiding from my mom. And then I came out and there was no mom. And, um, and I've lost both my children. I lost Lincoln really recently in Target, actually. I had another mom helping me <laughs> up and down the aisles looking for him. And I lost Lucy once in World Market. She would tell you I also lost her at Disneyland, but I'm pretty sure I knew where she was, that she lost me. But, um, but yeah, anyone who's experienced that, it's like th this has got to be the climax. Our heart is racing. Um, but this is actually not the climax of the story especially for the first century listener. The 12-year-old then is a little bit different than the 12-year-old now, a lot more independent. Um, and so the listener then is probably like, hmm, Luke, this is interesting. I wonder what's going to happen. So when we see Jesus in the temple, they finally find him among the teachers of the law, experts, and he's listening and he's asking questions, and they're amazed at him. And we can see that Luke is showing us here that there's something special about Jesus already at this really young age. It wasn't so crazy at this age for a 12-year-old to be learning the law. We actually know that even today in Jewish tradition at 13, um, young boys and young girls, at, when they turn 13, they have a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah to celebrate kind of a coming of age, which literally means son of the commandment or daughter of the commandment, learning the law. But Jesus was different. He's not just learning from his father, Joseph, but he's already an expert. He's amazing them. So this is pretty incredible. It's like us seeing a kid going through puberty, schooling a bunch of experts in rocket science or brain surgery or something. It's amazing, but it's still not the climax of the story. So he's confronted by his parents, and they're like, where were you? We were worried sick. It's just so human and relatable. It's a very normal parental response and concern, but it's not a normal child response from Jesus. At 12, a son would have started learning his family trade, his father's business. His father did carpentry, and we know that Jesus really did take that on, but he's distinguishing here something very unique in his father's identity and mission. He said, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Other translations might say, didn't you know that I'm about my father's business? This response from Jesus, this is the climax of the story. For Mary and Joseph and for Luke and for the listeners, Jesus is claiming to be the son of God. Not with miracles, not even a fully grown man. Luke is building the suspense you know this Passover you were just celebrating, thinking about the Passover lamb? Mary, do you remember when the angel came to you and said that you would give birth to the Son of God? Well, here he is. Here's the Son of God. Here's the perfect and final Passover lamb. So 
they were hearing this, but it says his parents didn't understand what he was saying. So the story concludes by saying Jesus was obedient to his parents, went home. Mary treasured those things in her heart, and Jesus continued to grow in wisdom and stature. So that's the story. We're interacting with this story in a much later date in the timeline. So we might respond a little different than the first century listener, but what might God be inviting us to in this passage? More than just thinking our 12-year-olds today are severely underachieving and we need to keep an eye on our children. Um, It's a special passage because, like I said, we don't get much of a glimpse into Jesus' growth in childhood. This, these are actually, um, this is actually the only scene we have between his infancy and his adulthood ministry, and it's the very first words of Jesus that we have recorded in Scripture. Like I said, Luke is building his case for Jesus as Lord and Savior, but at the same time, it's kind of an ordinary, relatable story in this family. When I look at the climax of the story, I see a story of becoming, of identity, and of growth. For Jesus, and for Mary and Joseph, and for us. So we want to look at portraits of growth we see here and ask, like, how do we grow in wisdom and in stature? And like we talked about in the intro, a lot of our growing seasons are accompanied with growing pains. So I think two specific growing pains that I see in this passage and that we experience in this kind of phase of sanctification and of growth and change Um, is growing pain of identity, and then one of doubt or confusion. So with identity, Jesus told his earthly parents, I wasn't with you, but I was in my father's house. I wasn't with you, but I was right where I was supposed to be, with my father. You know, he was, of course, referring to the fact that he was the son of God. But I also believe that this was a foreshadowing to how Jesus continues to redefine family and his identity and what family is as it is designed by God. There's several passages through scripture that we see um, in the way that family is identified, and I have a few of them listed here, but I'll read them to you, but you can mark them down if you want to look through them later. John 1 verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. So we can say people that have come into the family of God who have become followers of Christ, they are part of a family that is God's design. Also, Matthew 12, um, verses 46, I'll go ahead and read this one to you, it's not up there. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to Jesus. Someone told him, your mother and brother are standing outside. They want to speak to you. Jesus replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my mother. So he's redefining family and even saying this family by God's design supersedes that of our earthly family. Matthew 10, um, continuing in verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, says Jesus. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Okay, that can be a hard one to digest. 
But it's not saying that we ought to not love or that we ought to neglect our family for our church family. Not at all. We know throughout scripture that there's a commandment to honor your mother and father. First Timothy says that if we fail to provide for our own household, we're worse than an unbeliever. There's special instructions throughout scripture for husbands and wives in marriage, for parenting. So we know that God cares deeply for the family unit, the earthly family design. However, he also knows that our hearts are little idol factories. And these cannot be our ultimate loves. The call from Jesus here is not to love our family less, not to love our parents or our spouse or our children any less than we do, but to have a trust and a love for Jesus and the family he's building that makes all other loves pale in comparison. Another thing that we can see in the way that Jesus redefines family is also in 1 Timothy verse 5. It says, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So I love this. This is actually the language of family applied to the church. So we are to learn and lead and love in the church as if it were family. We look around here and we have aunties and uncles, grandparents in the faith, a younger sister, a younger brother. And that's how we ought to love and learn and lean on each other. So the beautiful and hopeful harmony in all of this is that our earthly family and households would be one with our church family, that they are one and the same, that we experience overlap here. But some of you don't have that overlap, and it's painful. And if you were here last week, Erwin shared a little bit about that pain in his own story. There are growing pains there in understanding our identity as being a part of the family of God. When maybe for you the most important and significant part of your life, your relationship with God, is not shared by your family. For grown children, when... um, when your parents don't know Jesus, or children of all ages, knowing how to obey and honor your parents, especially when you feel like what their desires for you are conflicting with what you know God's desires are for you. Maybe when you try and bring up your faith, there's just silence. Um, Maybe when you talk about God, there's outright confrontation and hostility. Or maybe it's just like indifference and... um, just lack of interest. The church does not want to replace your earthly family, but rather fill in those gaps of belonging and acceptance and those people to lean on and to share faith with. We want to pray and strive and yearn and wait with you for your earthly family to become a part of family of God too. But it's not just for those that have non-believing families where this is a struggle. This is hard in Christian families, too. You know, in the church, I think that we can idolize Christian marriage and family so much that we miss out on what it means to be a church family. We insulate into our, like, family-first mentality, like, take care of me and my people, that we are actually propelling a lie to the rest of the church saying that 
True family and intimacy and belonging is only found once you're married and have kids. And it, it really is just a lie. We can experience real, rich, intimate family right now. Because as a married couple, your number one love is not your spouse. And as a parent, your number one love is not your children. You know, I think as parents, it's, uh, it can be really hard to not make it our number one goal that our kids would just grow up honoring their mother and father so that they can experience blessing, right? We want more for our kids than just that they would be like good and safe and get into a good school and marry a good person and get a good job and have good kids so that they can be healthy and safe and go to a good school and get a good job, you know? And, um, but that's often the cycle that we get sucked into. I was encouraged a long time ago to pray John 4 over my kids. And John 4 is a story of the Samaritan woman. Jesus, Jesus meets the woman at the well. And he has this really interesting conversation with her. And she's amazed that he knows everything about her life. And he's promising to satisfy her with, um, with living water. And, uh, and so she goes back to her village and she tells everybody, like, this man that I met that told me everything I ever did, I want you to come and meet him and worship him. Um, he is the real deal. And so um, we're going to pick up in verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And this, this is the part we pray for our kids. They say to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The Samaritans are our kids here, and they hear the voice of God for themselves. They don't just believe because we tell them to. Um, they become on their own, hearing the voice of God, a part of God's family. And that's what we really want for them. Jonathan and I served in um, campus ministry with crew for many years together. And we would often say one of the reasons we loved working with college students is the way that our kids got to interact with people um, kind of becoming in their faith. And what our kids observe to be the college experience might be really different from what most people think the college experience is. But really, they would see students from every walk of life. They would see students, young adults, coming to faith for the first time that had never heard before. Um, they would see people that have grown up in church and are involved in the ministry straight through, or people that once were close with their family and their church and their faith and are seriously rebelling. They saw us have conversations with women who got pregnant in college, people that were going through really hard times, people that had gotten kicked out of school. But the, the interesting thread woven throughout all these conversations that they saw, all of these people were gathering around the person of Jesus and learning about him. We, love, we loved that. We, want, we were saying, like, we want to commit to giving our kids as many experiences as they can to see people interact with Jesus. We want to give them as many experiences as we can to have them hear God's word for themselves outside of us. Um, to know that this is not just like a what mom and dad say thing, but I have heard God's word for myself. At Renew, we have loved experiencing family like that here, especially for our kids. Um, and some of it is like lighthearted and fun, and some of it has been really deep and significant for us. 
I think about um, the Wangs coming over to our house recently. Wilson um, came over and he was like holding Lucy's phone with her and like flipping through text messages and reading about like the boy's heart that she broke last week. And he was like, oh, is this what you said? Oh my gosh, what did he say? You know, and so he, and he is like genuinely interested in this junior high romance, right? Um, or I think about Irwin and the way that he has served our youth and how Lucy has been, felt so safe to invite new people into that space every week, how he remembers her friends' names. I think about the youth leaders that all showed up to Lucy's dance recital last year and how sweet and significant that was for them to be a part of that family picture. I think about Nina and the children's ministry leaders who love Lincoln right now and even through like a really difficult season when he was younger. I remember Nina calling me on the phone and Lincoln was just having like a really rough time. I had actually been attending a different Bible study at the time that had childcare and I had been called out several times because of Lincoln's behavior. And the Bible study leader basically told me like, this isn't working. And so I, I left that study. Um, but Nina called me and she was like, hey, how, how can I help? How can we like partner together in, in how you wanna care for Lincoln? Like, do you have any advice for me? And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. But she was just such a partner in the way that she really parented and was a sweet auntie to Lincoln in that season. I think about the way we're family and the way we gather together outside of this space, in our small groups, for the women's cookie night, sharing traditions across generations together. I think about the stories that we heard during our anniversary. Uh, when Rebecca and Dario shared about their friendship and their growth and the way they experienced family together over praying for illness. Or the way that Roy and Jen got to share about this new ministry they're starting with divorce care and what it means to be family to people that are feeling like they've been cut off and severed and hurting from family. It's bringing meals, it's praying together. After service, into the, after the sermon even today, Jonathan and I will both be ready to pray, and the people around you, I'm sure, would love to pray with you. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus' redefinition of family, is he's not just asking us to make this surrender or this sacrifice of like, okay, I'm offering my earthly family to you so that I can gain this church family. He's giving us a blessing of the church family to greater experience the love that he has for us here. He's giving us the church. So the danger when we don't do this, when we feel like our identity as part of God's family isn't secure, is that we're going to go looking for belonging and acceptance somewhere. So that is just the condition of the human heart that we were designed to be in community and to need love and acceptance and belonging. So if we're not going to find it here, maybe we're going to rush into a relationship that really isn't right for us. Maybe we're going to rush to substance or just numb out on something else. Often, not embracing God's idea of family just means that we're going to miss out on the riches of his community. If we're only looking inside at our own family unit, we're going to miss out on the riches of God's family. Those who feel alone and disconnected in this church are never going to feel the belonging that we have to offer. So the real practical invitation comes every week when we do announcements. We say, renew, we're, a part of, we're God's family on mission together with Jesus and powered by the Holy Spirit. Everything that we do, we want you to experience family here. Okay, so there's this growing pain of this understanding 
our identity as part of God's family. But also, we see the next growing pain when we look at Mary and Joseph's response. They didn't understand. So there can be this confusion. It said they did not understand what he was saying to them, but his mother Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Last time I was up here, I taught about Mary hearing from the angel saying that you're going to give birth to the Son of God, and then she goes into this worshipful song. And we talked about her amazing faith, being able to worship God at his word. Wouldn't that be nice if the worship song that we sang one week became our heart's permanent posture? Like, okay, I believe you. I'm seeing that by faith. Lesson learned. Never have to do that again. Check. Moving on. But no, that's not how it worked for Mary. It's not how it works for us. We see years later, and probably many times before and after this story, that she's wrestling. She didn't understand. She was anxious when she approached Jesus. But it says in her confusion, she treasured these things in her heart. Other translations say ponder or preserve or remember. And this is what we often mean when we say the word contemplation or contemplative spirituality or contemplative prayer, you may have heard. Like Mary and Joseph, we are also going to encounter times in our relationship with Jesus when we're anxiously searching for him and are like, where are you? And other times when we hear his word and we just don't understand. When we're confused in our faith journey, whether it's in our circumstances or actually interacting with God's word, Sometimes we need to be contemplative, hold it still, treasure, ponder, turn it over. We want to invite wonder and curiosity. Just like Lucy and Lincoln in their questioning, we can question with wonder, and we can also question with wrestling. Jerome and Ronnie host the um, small group that my husband and I are a part of, and I love the way Jerome leads our small group. Often when we're interacting with a passage for the first time, he'll have us sit quietly for a few minutes and just answer this question. What makes you curious about this passage? If you were a part of small group this week, you maybe already saw that I wrote that into the Bible study. What makes you curious about this passage? The first time he had us do that, and it was my turn to share my curiosity with the group, I shared, I started like this. I said, well, here's what makes me mad about this passage. And I felt freedom to share it that way because that's really how I felt when I interacted that pas- with the passage that we were reading. And I had looked around the room at the different people in the room and the way that they all seemed very mature in their faith. They'd been walking with God for a long time. But I was really drawn to their openness and their willingness to learn the humility that it took for them to acknowledge that they didn't have all the answers, and I really felt like I wanted to do the same. And that sort of beginning really ends up being very fruitful. This asking honest questions, treasuring and pondering, it's the ability to embrace some mystery, but also to earnestly seek understanding. Sometimes before understanding comes, we need to sit with the discomfort and the emotion and the questions stirring with us. And if we invite God into that space of searching for the truth, the discovery of understanding is much more beautiful and meaningful than if we had just been given a pat answer right in the beginning. So I have to be honest, I kind of suck at this contemplative spirituality business. 
because I'm always in a hurry, and hurry really is the enemy of contemplation. You may have heard me say that <clears throat> I tease Jonathan, uh, who just lives at a different pace of life than I do. I say, anything you can do, I can do faster. And it's kind of true, except for like physically running. He can beat me doing that. But, um, but to a fault, I do everything super fast. So when I read my Bible, things that look familiar, I like reading it super fast. Like, da da da, I know this. Things that feel confusing or boring or really hard to understand, I read it really fast. Like, tra la la, that's hard. Okay, then I'm done. Finished my reading. There we go. Let's move on. But how much do I really miss out on on what God has for me? Maybe a very familiar passage can land on me a really meaningful and new way because of what he has me, what season he has me in in my life. I want to read God's word, and I want us all to be invited into reading God's word for transformation and not just information. So what I mean is that the end goal would not be the, like, check mark, like you made it through. We, wanna, we don't want to just get through God's word. We want God's word to make its way all the way through us. And that process of allowing God's word to make it all the way through us is contemplation. It's treasuring. It's slowing and holding and asking the questions. So the danger in not experiencing this is just the trap of cultural Christianity, a superficial kind of fake version. If we can't be family and honest and broken together, we're just going to grab for like the nearest max mask of perfection or performing or the quick cliche answer or just kind of like silence. Trusting what God has for us is good and trusting that his definition of good might be different than ours is a hard process but it's much more bearable when we're doing it with family and community together. So the invitation here um, is also very practical. We value this a lot at Renew, and you've heard us talk about retreats and opportunities for silence and solitude. The family retreat we talked about, we're going to have time there where we can be alone and slow and quiet with God's word, and also times where we can be doing it together with family. We want to give opportunities for each of us to experience God's word in our daily life. And if you don't already have a plan and a rhythm that's getting you into God's word every day, we would love to invite you into this time of reading Exodus together. But an important reminder as we wrap up is the things that we're wrestling with in this season and those hard questions that we're asking in this season of growth There's no guarantee that we have answers or resolve in the next season, not this side of heaven. But we know that we are not without hope and we are not alone. And something that anchors us while we wait or while we wonder or while we wrestle is this contemplative practice that we actually do every single week at Renew. And um, that practice is the practice of communion. And so um, you may have grabbed a communion cup on your way in, and you may not have thought of it before as a contemplative practice, but um, that's what it is. We, as we wait and wonder and as we grow together as a family and we go through these growing pains, each week we anchor ourselves in the truth and the reality of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so this, this uh 
bread and wine, or this cracker and grape juice, is reflective of a Passover meal. And uh, when Jesus had this supper with his disciples, he told them, he broke the bread, and he said, take and eat. This is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, contemplate. And then again after supper, he took the cup, and everyone drank, and he said, drink this. Uh, as my blood shed for you, do this in remembrance of me. So we'll do that together this morning. We're going to take the cracker. This is Jesus' body broken for us. And as we drink, we remember this is Jesus' blood as we remember that he shed for us. Jesus, I know we, um, we can always, weekly, daily, have this remembrance as the backdrop for us in our life and our seasons of growth. We can have it as an anchor um, to remember when our seasons of growth feel painful and when we're at places in our life circumstances or the way we interact with your word where we just do not understand what you're doing. Can you help us to treasure what we know to be true about you? Can you help us to lean on each other, to learn from our older brothers and sisters, to lead our younger brothers and sisters, that we would experience the family you have designed? And the broken belonging that we feel maybe in family members that don't know you, can we yearn together and trust um, that you yearn even more than we do, that they would be part of our family of God? We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.